0: Amen. Thank you for that fine singing and zealous worshiping this morning. Uh, as I, as we heard the the different languages, I couldn't help but to think of God's great plan of listening to His people that He created worship Him in different languages, the different nations, the different tribes. God loves all people, and He wants all people to worship Him and praise Him and to know Him, and that. Very song there in demonstration is just an example of God's fulfillment of His promise to redeem the Gentiles. So we we are living in that age where Gentiles have a knowledge of God and we have an opportunity to worship Him and know Him. It wasn't like that so much in the Old Testament. There was a veil <clears throat> upon the Gentiles. God's emphasis was the children of Israel, but now all of us can enjoy. God because of Jesus Christ, and I hope we never take that for granted. I appreciate that song this morning. It reminds us of God's holy promise. Um, I have a lot of thoughts before I jump in to the message this morning, but as Jessica's gone, I guess maybe to not be contagious or something, I think actually I've got bronchitis now, <clears throat> just from being up here. But um I appreciated her vulnerability, and one thing that came to my mind is the the Thanksgiving share testimonies and the Advent testimonies have just been outstanding, and I'm I'm so blessed to be in a congregation where God has, by His grace, created a, a spirit or an attitude of vulnerability, and willingness to just share. This is what God's doing in my life, and it's not all pretty. There, there's junk in here, but. The power of God is sanctifying me through this. And we've just been so blessed by the testimonies. And I wanted to, to publicly give God praise for that. But also as Jessica was speaking, I was thinking to myself, because I could relate to the hurriedness. Who is this God that speaks into not just righteousness but, uh, and sin and good and bad, but like the pace of life? God speaks into the pace of our lives. Of all things. And you're going too fast. I didn't design life. To go so fast. And be so hurried. Or to some of us. He might be saying. Ah, too much rest. <laughs> too much rest. And it, it is. It's, it's that push and pull. God has this design. And he, he guides and leads all of us. Where we are. And who we are. To conform us to his perfect plan. And, and to his image. And how good of him to do that but just our sovereign God speaking into the pace of life it seems so absurd and yet it makes perfect sense because God designed us he is life as you will hear in my sermon uh, eventually but um so it makes perfect sense but it just kind of humbled me and awed me that this God would speak in, in even into our pace of life and um Another thing I want to thank God for is our time last night. Come, let us adore Him, and I was grateful for those who could come and participate and sing praise to the Lord with our most of them were familiar Christmas carols but i don 't want to neglect thanking uh, the worship team and the music ministry that took place last night um, they had some we didn't we didn 't know it if you were there, it looked like it was flawless, but they had some hiccups before um, last night's singing they They lost some members and had to switch some things around, and you guys just did an outstanding job in um, leading us in worship last night, and I wanted to acknowledge that. And I'm just going to keep running on while I'm at it, nothing to do with my sermon, but I just, my mind is filled with thoughts. So here's something um, <clears throat> interesting. New Covenant Fellowship, so we are uh, 40, about 40 years old now. It seems like we've always had, I'm just going to, for lack of better terms, have had like a, a church darling. So the, the church darling is, is kind of like um, maybe the youngest baby in the group. You know, the youngest baby or the youngest child tends to get a lot of attention. So we have lots of church darlings here now in this season. But in, in the season of New Covenant, sometimes we have more babies or more children and less children when we first started out, um, there was a church darling. Everybody wanted to get their attention. You know, you you feel honored if they run up to you or hug you, and and everybody wants to hold the the church babies or the church darlings. The church darling, the original church darling, as far as I'm concerned, at New Covenant Fellowship was Joy Owen, Joy Moon back there. So Joy Moon was one the original. She was like the youngest kid. In the church, and she would run around, every, all the other kids wanted to get her attention, the adults wanted to get her attention. But I remember um, Joy sitting on my lap, that's how old I am, that's how young she was, but sitting on my lap as the church darling in our just, you know, goofing around and getting together as we did. So uh, that's the memory I have, and so it's good to see you here, Joy, and see your baby on your lap this morning. But anyway, that was just gee whiz information. It has nothing to do with the sermon. So now that I've squandered or prodigaled my time here, I want to uh, jump in. Um, as you know, we've completed our all of our series and all of our sermons. We completed the book of Second 2 Corinthians, 2022. We've completed our covenant class series for 2022. So as I was winding those series down, I realized, um, you know, if I, if I ended 2 Corinthians where I did, that I would have uh, about three extra Sundays in December. What do I do with that? I thought about uh, extending my 2 Corinthians sermons to an extra three, but I thought, no, this it just needs to end here. So I prayed about I thought, well, it's the Christmas season, so I'll just preach a series of Christmas sermons. So I came um, That's the next Sunday and talked to Corky about, uh, no, I came that next Sunday and Corky uh, flagged me down before church. He said, by the way, because Sam had to push back his teaching is leading us with R.C. Sproul's teaching for Sunday school, I need to continue to teach Sunday school. So now I have eight Sundays that I need to cover and I'm going to just kind of do a Christmas theme and, and teach out of Luke 1. Well, that is exactly what I was thinking about for my three sermons for my Christmas theme. So I said, well, yeah, that's okay. It's, it's funny because that's exactly what I was going to do. Um, but maybe we, the Lord thinks we need just to hear it twice. So I thought about that and I was like, no, nah, can't do that. Have Luke 1 and Sunday school and then hear it again from the pulpit. So I just sought the Lord and I still wanted to do a Christmas theme. So I wound up in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. So that's going to be our our text for our Christmas theme series. There's going to be three sermons. It's all going to be in the first chapter. As a matter of fact, I'm staying in the first few verses of the Gospel of John. So um, the Gospel of John, as you know, it's a very popular gospel. What's that, what's that scripture that you often see or used to see? I don't watch football much, so I don't know if it's still there, but you used to see this big sign when you watch football, and what scripture was it? A lot of football fans out there. But we see John 3.16. So the Gospel of John is a very, very popular book, and it's some scholars say it's, it's shallow enough for children to wade in but deep enough for elephants to drown in. So there's a little bit of everything in this book. Martin Luther said, This is the unique, tender, genuine chief gospel. Should a tyrant succeed in destroying the holy scriptures and only a single copy of the epistle to the Romans and the gospel according to John escape him, Christianity would be saved. Powerful statement and I've shared this many times but um, I'm reminded of my own conversion experience and as, as you know it was my brother-in-law Bob Hill who led me to Christ and he used to always tell me because I would, I would resist and resist but he always said if, if you ever get saved read the gospel of John and so eventually I raised the white flag because God was after me Convicting me of my sin, and I resisted as long as I possibly could. And then I raised the flag and I, I gave my heart to him. I confessed of my sin, and he saved me. And so I went and got my Gideon's New Testament, it was a pocket New Testament, and I took it with me um, to read it. Guess where I put it? In my pocket, exactly. Right. I put that thing. Well, that I got saved late, well, kind of early, late night or early morning hours one night. The next morning was deer season, first day in Maryland. And I had planned to meet my buddies out there. And you get out there, um, I got, you're getting your tree stand before light. So I'm out there, I climb up in my tree stand. I would just been saved that night. I was just like, I was in awe of God. Everything was new to me. And I had my pocket New Testament And as soon as it got light enough for me to read in the tree, stand, that's all I could do. I did not care about deer all of a sudden. And what a testimony of how your priorities change when the living God comes into your life. So I read the Gospel of John and it was as if God wrote that book for me. I was everywhere in that. How did that happen all of a sudden? The power of the Holy Spirit and the the living word. So the first time ever, I wanted God more than, every, than anything. <clears throat> so John's Gospel is a very popular book. You, you've probably memorized many scriptures out of it. But what it's not is a popular gospel for the Christmas story. It is the most unpopular gospel for the Christmas story. You will see that in this series. But before I go any farther, I want to just kind of share where we're headed in this sermon series for our Christmas. First, we're going to look at Jesus as the Word. We will cover that this morning. Second, Jesus as the Life. And third, Jesus as the Light. And next Sunday we have, uh, on the 18th, we will also have a Christmas play. So I hope you can join us for that. Somehow I'm going to squeeze in a, a sermon On that day as well. So, first of all, Jesus is the Word. Let me read to you John's version of the Christmas story. John 1 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So how's that for a fireside Christmas story? Isn't it just so endearing? Now let's compare that with the other, the synoptic Gospels, the, the three that are the most alike. In Mark 1 through 4, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then it goes right into Jesus' ministry. So that's Mark's beginnings of the life of Christ. That's how he recorded it. And then we have... Luke, which you've been learning in Sunday school. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And then, as you know, he goes on to tell the story. So he takes it back to um, Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist before he gets to Christ, and then he tells the story of, of the virgin birth. And so the, the whole drama involved in this elderly couple who wanted children but were not able to have children, and then God blessed them with a child who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And there's, it's a beautiful story, and there's a lot of drama in there, and it's just very, um, very gripping. And it's a great fireside story. That's the story you want to read. That's the story, uh, it's in Luke, that I turn to for our traditional Christmas mornings, um, we'll read out of the Gospel of Luke. Then we have Matthew, and he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he goes back farther than the forerunner. He goes all the way back to David, and then all the way back to Abraham, because in Matthew's Gospel, the genealogy of, of baby Jesus is very important. So you have all these important aspects and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, each gospel writer is beginning their book and telling the Christmas story in the way that they uh, aim to reach their people and their audience. They all have different things on their hearts. They want to say different things. Different things are important to them. Uh, for Matthew and Luke, facts are very important. They show us how they substantiate these things. And I talked to countless witnesses, and this happened. And so they just pull you right into the facts of historical living. Now, for John, it was different. John just starts. He just, he just kind of blurts out there's no explanation. He just tells you how it is. Church trad- tradition states that John wrote his gospel to provide important material or revelation that the other gospels did not include. It's much less uh, factual. As a matter of fact, it's way more of a spiritual account. Less historical with the baby in the manger, but way more spiritual. It's it's a larger view, more comprehensive, spiritual, divine view of the Christmas story. And he just jumps in without any kind of explanation. And he goes all the way back to uh, not just the stable and not just Zechariah and Elizabeth or David and Abraham, he goes all the way back to the very, very beginning. And so by doing this, he is addressing issues that the church was facing in his day and, and in his time. And this is important because as the church wrestles with Scripture and tries to understand Scripture, we need these first three verses to properly understand the triune God. So it wasn't so long um, that, according to the second century Bishop Irenaeus, John wanted to combat heresies that were rising, especially those that denied either the full deity or the full humanity of Christ. And so John's words would interest the Jews, but they'll also interest the Gentiles, and in particular the Greeks, because in this passage, John uses the word logos, the word. And that word you will find um, shortly was very, very important to how the Greeks understood life. John also plainly states his reason for writing his gospel. And I think this is important for us to keep in mind as we think about John's perspective of the Christmas story. And how good of him to just put it right out there. A lot of times we have to search and figure things out and pray. And he just tells us, here's why I wrote my gospel in, 20, in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So all of this is, just, is, is written so that people will hear and believe in Christ. Why? So that they may have life because there are many that are living but do not have spiritual life. But he wants us to believe in Jesus in the right way, to believe in Jesus in a correct way, And it's possible to not fully understand or to believe in in the wrong Jesus, a wrong representation or understanding of Jesus. When we properly know this, then when we see the beautiful fire, we listen to the beautiful fireside versions of the Christmas story, and and we use our imaginations to envision that little baby born in that stable and placed in that manger, and then the wise men that came to, to seek him and the angels harking and the shepherds rejoicing and hurrying to see this thing. then we can properly understand what we're gazing at and the significance of that, that cooing little baby in the manger. So John's Christmas story, in essence, is an important theology lesson. And that's why I've entitled the series A Christmas theology. It's a theological perspective of the Christmas story. And then it we will find that Jesus yes, he is both divine and human. He reveals that Christ's life didn't just begin with Mary and Joseph, but all the way back and he starts with in the beginning and you expect him to say because we're so familiar with Genesis in the beginning, God. That's how it starts. That's how scripture starts. In the beginning, God. Then he changes it up and he says, In the beginning, the word. In the beginning, the word. So he He puts Christ where God would be in her understanding. So we're learning about Christ in this gospel and we see that he was at least, at the very least, he was with God in the beginning, before anything was created. And he was with God, he says, and, and that witness speaks of a relationship. You're with somebody. I'm, there's a togetherness, a witness there. It's a relational word always. So God and the Word were together. And John takes it further and writes that the word was not just with God and the word was God so Jesus the word is a person who has a relationship with God and this helps us to explain Genesis 1 where God said let us make man in our image nothing's created yet with perhaps the exception of angels if somebody said well maybe angels but let us make man in our image who is he speaking to it can't be the angels if the angels have, happen to be created at this time because they're not in God's image. So it is this, to, he, it's the witness, it's because Jesus Christ was there in the beginning before anything was created. He shares the exact image of God. And through Christ, everything that exists was brought into existence by Christ, the word And is also sustained by Jesus, the word. And so we learn that that God's word does God's will. As God speaks what's in his mind into existence, it's the word carrying out the very will of God. Consider a few verses, Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Psalm 107.20, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So, So this is how Christmas ties into this story. Christ the Savior is born. It is Christ who is the word who is doing the will of God to redeem man according to God's plan for salvation. So baby Jesus is the word of God. Carrying out the will of God. So the first thing that we learn here is that Jesus being with God and God, he's an eternal being. Now this is important because not everybody believed that. That this baby Jesus and this Jesus who ministered in the wilderness to the people of Israel, who worked miracles, they did not believe that he was on the same level or plane with God. Uh, One particular church leader in about the 3rd century, Arius, he was a church elder and priest. He said that Jesus was a lot like God. He was about as close to God-likeness as you can get. But he was not God. He was a created being. Now, unfortunately, now that was considered a heresy, and unfortunately, that heresy lives today. And it is the same teaching that you will hear from Jehovah's Witnesses if you allow them into your home and ask them certain questions about their beliefs. You will find that Jesus is as close as possible to being like God, but he was created by God. And yet John tells us that he was with God before creation. Jesus is the person. Equal to God. Second, we think about the personhood of Christ. Another confusion or heresy, and I'll throw another old church father under the bus, Sibelius. So he believed that Jesus was, uh, was God, but he was an expression of God. He wasn't his own person. And that's the heresy of modalism, which also lives today. There are some TV preachers, if you listen close enough, as they describe the Trinity, that they believe in modalism. And that is that God is one, and the Son and the Spirit are just kind of expressions of the one God, but they are not distinct persons. They don't believe in the three in one, the Holy Trinity. That in the early church was also marked as a heresy. But Jesus is eternal, and he is this distinct person, John helps us understand. The baby in the manger, that's what we gaze at. And then lastly, Jesus is fully divine. He is God. It wasn't so long ago that the phenomena of the Da Vinci Code, if you remember that book, and then the movie, and they claimed in in this book that it wasn't until the 4th century where the church at the Council of Nicaea... Uh, claim that or agreed, yes, Jesus is divine. It was something that the church made up. John twenty twenty eight. Thomas proclaims, my Lord and my God. That's a confession. That's identifying Jesus as divine. Martin Luther states, this text is a strong and valid attestation of the divinity of Christ. Everything depends on this doctrine. It serves to maintain and support all other doctrines of our Christian faith. Therefore, the devil assailed it very early in the history of Christendom, and he continues to do so in our day. So I, I know it's a spiritual perspective. It's not as cute and fun as the other um, Christmas stories. But in essence, we need to understand John's Christmas story, to really even understand Luke's Christmas story, to understand what we're gazing at, to understand what we're celebrating, why are the angels harking? and why are the shepherds re- shepherds rejoicing? What is the attraction here? It is God the Son, equal to God, but His own person became flesh and lived among us and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We want to worship the right God in the right way. Well, in verse and uh, when John uses this word word, it's the Greek word logos. And that word is absolutely packed with meaning. That would get if no one else's attention, the Greeks Attention, And it, he uses this to describe Jesus. One of the most significant words in Greek philosophy. In the 6th century BC, of course years before Christ, Greek philosopher Heraclitus used it to, sc- to describe how creation has a purpose and reason and an order to it. So as man wrestles with trying to understand life, we do it today. Why are things the way they are? Uh, Two-year-olds two are great at trying to understand life and will ask you question after question after question. It's how we're designed. It's a good thing. We, we want to understand ourselves. We want to understand the world that we live in. And so mankind, ever since the beginning, has grappled with this, especially those who rejected God's revelation. Then you're left on your own to try to figure things out. The Greeks were known for this. And so they observe the world and they notice that in one sense it seems very chaotic, that there's no order to it. And it's different, it's always changing, it's a flow. And so they give the example of um, that you can't step in the same, if you step in the stream one day, you'll never be able to repeat that again exactly the way it was because there's a flow. The circumstances simply will not be exactly the same. So life just kind of seems in one sense arbitrary and, and unpredictable. But they were plagued because at the same time yet there's this order to it. There's a predictability to it. There, there's a reason for it. So you can't, you can't repeat stepping into that stream in the same way because circumstances change and yet, but that stream seems to be here for a particular reason serving a purpose. And so the change and the time and the moves seem completely chaotic and yet there was this constant there was a continuity there things actually do make sense and they have this purpose in this order and the word that rose to the top to describe this and they would even say it's a, he would say it's a divine order and it was logos it's understanding the world it's being able to reason and make sense out of things and he would attribute it not to the one and only true God, but the Greeks had their own gods, and so he attributed it to that. It's just the way things were designed. So Lagos became known as the word that defined uh, the reason of God, the purpose, the order, and the reason, the meaning of God. And so from that point on, that's how the Greeks understood that. Uh, two centuries later, Greek philosopher Plato said It may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. Because it also has to do with the idea of being even able to communicate and understand each other logic. In order to be able to communicate, we have to agree on things. We have to... Agree if we're going to meet at a certain time and at a place that there is such a thing as that time, and that's, that's exactly where we're going to meet. And there is such a thing as a time we're going to meet at this time. In order to have any kind of harmony and agreement and unity, there has to be truth. There has to be uh, identities and language. And by the way, in our culture, what we see is that that is being undermined that any agreement on any terminology of what's right and wrong or what's even true, you think of, of gender identity, we are totally twisting things so that we don't have the ability to agree on what's, what's true, what's right, and what has purpose and meaning. And it's no wonder that there's so much chaos in our culture. So Plato gave us that quote and Richard Phillips said, listen, you Greeks, the very thing that has most occupied your philosophical thought about which you have been writing for centuries, the logos of God has come to earth as a man and we have seen him. Jesus Christ, he is the word and he creates all things and he upholds, how does he uphold and sustain creation? Not by brute strength, which he has power, but it's by the power of his word, Jesus Christ. So, John takes her understanding of the Christmas story to, I think, a, a new level in understanding the little baby in the manger, and giving such meaning and giving purpose and a spiritual perspective of what's happening. You know, sometimes... The Christmas season, perhaps the decorations, the giving and receiving of gifts, and the uh, countless, no-ending, hallmark Christmas romances that we're treated to during this season, perhaps some of that can lose their luster, maybe for some of you. If you long for a deep, deeper meaning of Christmas, this is it. It's about what God has done through Christ in the world. And it's not just a story out there. John has written his gospel, so that Christmas story will be in here. And he wants us to understand who Jesus is. And he is fully God. And he is fully man. He is the Word. He is God in the flesh. And he is the most accurate representation and revelation of God, not only in what Jesus spoke in the Gospels, but in everything that he did in the flesh. When he prayed, when he walked, when he interacted with his fellow humans, all of that was revealing who God is. If you really, really say to yourself, I want to know God, I have a longing to know God, then you have to know Christ, because Christ is the exact representation, and God's give to us the exact representation of God. So maybe some of the Christmas as we know it loses its luster, but Christmas is for you. It's for you if you are the kind of person that wants to understand what life is about and wants to understand why am I here and why do things work the way they do. God explains that. As a matter of fact, he designed it, and he designed our minds to ask that question. And as Jessica reminded by quoting Augustine, that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. Trying to live as we're taught by our culture, trying to live as if life is capricious, as if there's no underlining meaning or purpose will take its toll on our hearts and our minds. Because God's word says that we were created for a specific purpose and that is to glorify him. And all that we do, think and say, glorify him and enjoy him forever forever. Life will not fully make sense until we understand it through these three verses in John's Christmas story. And that's how we will find that joy in verse 14 of chapter 1. John says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. We read these words... And as I wind down, I realize that, you know, the way John, just with no explanation, he just, no preparation, he just lays it out there. This is the spiritual fact. This is how life works. In essence, it produces a dilemma for us. And the dilemma it produces for us is found um, in John chapter 6, and I'll read it. And explained it. after this, many of his disciples turned back and and no longer walked with him. And Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now here's the problem. We all have it. One way or another, on one side of salvation, if we're saved or not, say we have the problem. Especially those of us that are like Peter. When you find the meaning, when you find the purpose of life, even though you don't understand everything there is to understand about God, you don't know where Jesus is going to lead you. You don't know the path he has for you. All you know is that he's real and he's true. And he's before you now and he has brought into your life the love and the meaning and the purpose and the significance that you didn't know was even out there. Where else are you going to go? The worlds can be safe or it can be dangerous. Following Christ can be safe and it can be even more dangerous. But where else are you going to go? When you have heard the truth, when you've seen the truth, when you've embraced it and it has resonated in your heart and your mind and your whole being. Everything about you is saying this is right, this is true, this is what my heart has longed for my entire life where else will I go? And so with the apostles and the 12, yes, life got very hard. As a matter of fact, it was much harder to follow after the living word than it was to live the lives they were previously as fishermen and what have, what have you. Oh, it was dangerous. It was hazardous. And yet they could, where else are you going to go? But to follow God, the truth, to follow the logos, the living word. This is what we find in the Christmas story. This is what Christ has to offer us. And John has written his gospel that we would believe in this Jesus Christ whom God sent to us as this great gift. We will, no one will ever live life as it is intended to be lived unless we know and believe in Christ. And John welcomes us and calls us to faith in Christ. Let me close with this example the great industrialist Henry Ford. I'm sure you've heard of Henry Ford. He once had a breakdown on his assembly line. Nobody there at the, the shop could fix it. And so in desperation, he called Charlie Steinmetz, the mechanical genius who had designed and built Ford's plant. Steinmetz showed up. He tinkered for just a few minutes. He threw a switch and everything started running again. A few weeks later, Henry Ford gets a bill from Steinmetz for $10,000, which was a lot of money in that day. Henry Ford writes back to Steinmetz and he says, "Uh, Mr. Steinmetz, don't, don't you think that that's a little steep. $10,000 is a little steep for just a few minutes of tinkering. And uh, Steinmetz center of revised bill to Ford. He said, tinkering, $10, knowing where to tinker, 9990 <laughs> R.D. Phillips says, Likewise, Jesus knew how to fix this broken world before he made it, because he made it. But he came not just to do a little tinkering. Jesus fixed the world by shedding his own blood for our sins. And instead of presenting us a bill, he offers us the free gift of eternal life through faith in him. He who was in the beginning was with God and is God. And he came into the world as God's Savior. And he calls us to faith. He beckons us to believe in him. I know that the Spirit is alive and well. And that he still beckons mankind. Come to my son. Believe in my son who I sent into the world. He is what you need. He is what you long for. He is life. He is light. Nothing is more more important than worshiping Christ, the newborn king. Allow John's Christmas story, John's version, the, the, the more boring version, the duller version, but allow it to seep into your heart as you understand the newborn king and be excited about the Christmas season and what Christ continues to do in the world As the rightful king and ruler. The light and the life of men. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.